So then she sends her incompetent henchmen after both of them with the order to kill her. Uh, and this is stupid again. And then gives the poison apples and there's a limited number of poison apples because poison apples don't just grow on trees, but the, or do they, that is also, that is, (laughs) well, yeah. (laughs) Dodge this. I am the father. I'm here on a mission of mercy. There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. Let's put a smile on that face. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the real world. This is episode 132 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a show where we talk about movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and so much more. Our voices are being hand-animated and then being brought to the real world on Monday, April the 6th, 2015. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today is the evil henchman serving the evil queen, Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe? Oh, that's totally ironic you just compared me to the henchman. Uh, <laughs> hey, TJ, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. One thing I was wondering as I wrote that is, is I wonder if, if voices can actually be hand animated. I, I, I think there's another term for that I should be using. <laughs> hmm. Well, I'm going to look that up on Wikipedia. Uh, I don't have anything. All right. Well, we have a special guest with us today, and I want to get him introduced so that we can actually start talking with him. Uh, and we have today with us uh, Mr. Joe Rosenstiel. How are you, Mr. Rosenstiel? Uh, Peachy Keen. There are too many Joes on this podcast, and we're going to have some crossed wires, and people are going to be confused. But uh, I think we'll, we'll, in some manner, in some way, we'll figure out how to make it work. Well, I, I am last year's Joe Darnell model, and this is the Joe Steele model. Ah, okay. So, so Joe, you, Joe, Joe Steele, Joe Rosenstiel, you, um, ha- you have a podcast uh, called Defocused that you do with one. Uh, I'm forgetting. It's it's Dan something or other. <laughs> Dan Sturm. Okay, I, uh, I so, something other works too. Yeah, I guess. yeah. It's it, it's both S's, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I recently just started following you both on Twitter because I only recently just discovered your podcast, and uh, I've enjoyed all the episodes whereof I have listened to, which is exa- exactly three. <laughs> Um, but it, it's been wonderful. Uh, I, I, I think the first one, I, it might be more than three, because the first one I came on, you guys were talking about Star Trek, and I was instantly hooked. And I know Joe is over here groaning already because we've already started talking about Star Trek. <laughs> uh, so um how, how many episodes do you guys have of that podcast now uh we just did 40 last week with uh the last starfighter um and uh so we'll be going to 41 tomorrow ish uh for recording and then release later in the week now i have to admit that uh i have seen the last starfighter but it has been many years because uh and don't 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 hate me i didn't really like it <laughs> that's Fine. Everybody's <laughs> entitled to their own opinion. Uh, I, it's it, Dan didn't super care for it either. You picked uh, up on that. Yeah. Do you typically just review the movies you like on the show, or do you lampoon movies too? I'm just curious. Oh, it's a it's a roll of the dice, really. Um, sometimes it'll it'll depend on the kind of mood we're in, or or uh, if it's yeah. something neither of us have seen before. Um, like uh, when we saw Snowpiercer. Uh, it can be uh, a bit of a, a crapshoot. Um, so uh, that was not a lot of fun for that episode. 
but but at least we both didn't like it together. Uh, so you ha- you had a buddy along uh, for, for the for the journey. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, we we've done that a few times on the Movie Bite podcast. Uh, I'd say we because we often review new movies, and so we go into the theater not knowing what we're going to expect, and then. More often than not, one of us hates it and one of us likes it, but sometimes mm-hmm. both of us hate it and then that's always fun. <laughs> I, think, I think that's only happened about three times, though, out of 130 What, episodes. that we both so liked a film? We have a pretty good record. No, no, no. <laughs> that we've both hated a film. Actually, I genuinely hated it. Yeah, it's true. I, I, it's rare that yeah. I really just really, really hate a film. Uh, like, well, mm-hmm. it's rare that we really feel like watching a film and then investing the time thinking about it to like really tear it apart. I mean, if you're going to do that, you might as well just like, oh, I mean, there's so many other ways to ruin your life and ruin your day. <laughs> right. Why, do you, why make that one of them? Yeah, I, I don't really have like an axe to grind whenever it, 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 it does seem to be um, – serendipity whenever that happens um i guess uh, uh rather rather randomly um you guys do like almost all of your your episodes are uh new releases and almost none of ours are almost everything we do is is several years old or decades old uh so i i'm, I'm very curious how you both manage to find the time to do that like week to week it's it's been uh, we don't we, this is all made up we we haven't actually seen any of these movies we're just <laughs> reading wikipedia pages and make, making up opinions like you know commenters do on youtube there are well, definitely there, weeks when it's a challenge there is a there's a uh, an incomparable spinoff um if you're familiar with the incomparable Very podcast so. network yes they, there, there's one spun up from that uh, that's called Phil and Lisa Ruin the Movies, and they don't watch the movies that they review. It's just based <laughs> on the trailers, and then they just kind of riff on that. So it, mm. it, it is totally a thing, apparently. apparently. <laughs> Someone just beat you to it. <laughs> well, so much for that show we were going to start, Joe. Better start canceling those plans. <clears throat> Joe, Jar- oh, Joe Darnell, I should say. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. What is this show you're talking about that I don't know about, TJ? Oh no! You you, you remember it was our secret plan, and it's just been foiled by the incomparable network. Oh. So we're going to edit all of this out. All right. Yeah. Well, nobody's going to hear this show anyway. Um, so uh, before we actually get into the show proper, I did have one more question for you, Mister Rosensteel, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that I I went to your website and I saw this demo reel for the things that you do. First of all, tell tell our listeners what kind of things that you do. Uh, oh. m- mostly you're you're like doing uh, CGI and lighting effects and stuff, I believe. Yeah, um, I my degree from college is in computer animation, but I don't actually do animation really. Mm, okay. I, I uh, do compositing and uh, lighting, um, and that's for film or TV, uh, and for a variety of projects uh, that span all kinds of genres and taste levels. Um, so uh there's there's something to not like for everybody but uh <laughs> the the uh the, the basic thing is uh you get animated stuff that's not lit you put lights on it you shade it and render it out and then put it layer it together with uh whatever footage you have or other effects mm-hmm. or other things and then put that out into the movie uh so that is my my background and how I got interested in not only um, doing this, but also in film in general. Uh, and that, that started back in the nineties. So I looked at, when I looked at your demo reel, I saw in there at least one film that I had seen before and, uh, that was in the, you know, theaters, but major release. And that was, uh, Oz the Great and Powerful, I believe. Um, it, so you, you did some work on that film or am I, was I more of my eyes deceiving me? Uh, I did. 
um, that was not a not a long project. I didn't have a, a whole lot of shots on that. Um, there's a one with the uh, the flying baboon things, mm. uh, and then the little fairy creatures, uh, the river fairies, um, which are these little sort of like I don't know fleshy goldfish things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there, there's that. Uh, yeah, my my favorite thing I worked on, I would have to say, is Watchmen, um, uh, which is kind of a long time ago now uh and it's it's not something that's well regarded by most people uh, so uh it is interesting though that you picked out oz because i i don't know a lot of people that uh were, were super happy with the way that film came out really uh, yeah i know and it's frustrating because i actually quite like the film uh, i wouldn't you know it's not like uh i wouldn't even put it on the level of of enchanted which we're going to be reviewing later but i i, I enjoyed it so i and I've, I've found the the criticism of it a little bit um I, I don't quite understand like why people are so critical of the film. I, I like I said, I quite enjoyed it. Joe Darnell, um, I don't remember if you were uh, approving of the film or not, or maybe that was when you were not I, on the podcast. Actually, I don't remember. I don't think I was, but I wasn't enjoying the movie. What's interesting is that my mom is a really old school Wizard of Oz fan, Judy Garland style, ah. and she really enjoyed the new movie, and I didn't expect that. But I watched it with my folks, my siblings, and everybody else was all smiles when the movie was over. They thought it was pretty original. They liked the direction it was taken. And I don't know, maybe maybe Wicked had spoiled it for me, just knowing the, the premise of Wicked and the potential you have there with a, an expanded universe style approach to The Wizard of Oz. I, I was hoping for something else. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, you can just take your, your hate for it and go home. That makes one of us. <laughs> so you didn't enjoy it either, uh, Joe. Uh, that this is going to be the extent of my comments on that. Yeah. Well, don't <laughs> let me put you in an awkward position since you worked on the film. So uh, we'll 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 just move right along. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed may, it. May I ask one cool question? Mm-hmm. I just I just have one cool question for Mr. Rosenstiel. Are, are, are there any movies you're working on right now that are interesting, worthy of note? Uh, oh no, I'm, I am actually working at a, a, a TVFX house since, uh, October. Um, so no movies at all, like in the literal sense, uh, of note, <laughs> uh, okay. but, but, uh, the last, uh, TV show that I, I, uh, well, it's not worth going into <laughs> TV's TV is its own, <laughs> own beast and it, it's probably not very exciting for your, uh, your audience. I suppose not. There are many TV shows <laughs> yeah. that I'm interested in, though, that I watch. Uh, so, and, and, and do you work on? Let me ask you this, and, and you can tell me if you can't answer this. I, I, I have no idea what sort of non-disclosure agreements or whatever you might be under. But um, do you work on any TV shows that I might have seen? I don't know how to answer that because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I don't know what you watch. <laughs> well, I mean, just on network television or or on you know, I don't know. Um. Well, I mean, I did some like monitor replacements on the show Empire, uh, but that's not really like, I don't know if you would have been like, wow, that's a, a great <laughs> monitor replacement. Um, okay. But uh, and then a wire removal on <sighs> Glee and uh, some uh, other stuff that was just like little tiny things. Uh, and then um, for uh, the last major thing uh, was a American Horror Story okay. um, this past season, but I don't think you watch that. I don't um, know. You know, uh, and th- that was for uh, the twins uh, stuff that was all compositing, putting them together. Uh, I recognize all the names that you mentioned, though. That's that's really mm-hmm. my point. So, 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm here just for name dropping. Yes. Yeah. We're, I mean, that's what yeah. we're all about here on the Movie Bite Podcast. I just want to get the notoriety <laughs> in there. Um, mm-hmm. Let's move on to our, our show primary now, uh, if that's all right with you gentlemen. Um, so the, uh, the the first thing in the show outline I put in here purely – I'm, I'm going to just be up front. I put this in here because I want to talk about how I hate-watched um, uh, Prince Caspian from the Disney version. Uh, and so uh, what I put in here is, did anybody watch anything interesting this past uh, this past <laughs> week? You were tweeting the whole story. Oh, my and, goodness. Uh, yeah, I was it, so it, frustrated. It, why, why did you do that to yourself? I, did the kids drag you into it? No. Well, see, here's the thing. So um, – I, I, I'm reading the books, the, the Chronicles of Narnia to my kids. And, uh, so we just finished, finished Prince Caspian and I had been several years since I saw, I probably only have seen that movie in the theater when it came out. And I remember being pretty disappointed, but believe it or not, I'm one of the few people in the world who had not read, uh, the books, the Chronicles of Narnia books, uh, up until very recently when I started reading them to my children. So I'm, I'm trying to rectify this deficiency. And um, I, I quite like the first movie, and I thought maybe the second movie, now that I've read the book, it'll be either be better or worse. I don't know, and, and I don't remember much about the movie. And I'm telling you what, that movie is some of the worst movie I've ever seen come out of Disney ever, and that's saying something because while they've produced some yeah. good stuff, they've also produced some pretty rotten stuff. And I was just so disappointed in that movie. And, and you, Joe Darnell, you've seen me do this sometimes. I, I sometimes just hate tweet movies. That's just what I do sometimes on, on, a, on a Saturday or a Sunday night. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so um, either of you, uh, I, I assume you have opinions about that movie one way or the other. Well, my opinion is I'm not even going to watch Caspian because uh, I just heard so much horrible stuff about it. So did, did you, I, I'm not interested. Did you never see it? I barely liked the Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe See, film. It was okay. So at that point, I, I was just kind of like, eh, I don't like it. Like the chances are that they'll improve beyond this point are kind of slim. So then I heard how the Voyage of the Dawn Treader was treated. Didn't they make a, another one on uh, four in total? There's only three, but I could be wrong. Okay. Because I, I just heard, yeah, that both sequels were lackluster. Oh, it was, it was, it was awful i it's worth watching just to see what a train wreck doesn't it is. uh doesn't the uh, the girl the older girl kiss the prince or yes. something at the Susan end and it's kisses like what Caspian. what what i, I was what, what's with that? that that was the point at which i just i i i, I like I, don't know, I, I mean that was toward the end of the film too and i'm like i just don't even know what to do anymore this is just not this is just not this is not even based on the book <laughs> so yeah yeah uh, did you did you see the uh, film it, uh, mr rosenstiel uh, I did uh, when it came out in theaters. Um, I had I had worked on the first movie, oh, uh, so nice. I, I but not the second. Uh, so I, I felt like I should just see what happened uh-huh. um, if it was any better than the first one. Uh, and uh, I didn't love it either. <laughs> um, and I, I can definitely see why it trailed off uh, in terms of them not making the rest of the series. No kidding, uh, yeah. And but you know, having having said that. Um, having worked on the first one, uh, I hadn't read the books, so I went and I, I read through all of them afterwards. Nice. And well, uh, there's some weird stuff in those books, especially when you get to the later, uh, the later, uh, later books. Uh, my my it's wife so, has so informed me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, I don't know how that would have. Eventually, they would have to make this, and I don't know how that would have translated <laughs> to the screen so i I was just like i well good luck guys um but uh yeah one one of the weird things about uh caspian was uh the the calmarines um in the books uh they're they're not 
they're not portrayed very well uh, in a flattering light. Uh, so it, it it is it is very weird uh, that they even went ahead with it but yeah. at least it wasn't at least it wasn't so bad but uh yeah I, I, i'm not enamored with the series and i didn't watch don treader afterwards yeah i i don't even want to see it now i mean it's just geez. oh it was so terrible uh, all right well that was the reason i put that in there did, and i'll just go ahead and honor the 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 thing that we have in the show outline did either of you watch anything interesting this last week or two mm, i've been watching harry potter <laughs> oh nice <laughs> yeah those are better. those have their ups and downs but in general, much better. Thumbs up all the way. Every single movie in the Harry Potter series is better than Prince Caspian. Every single one. <laughs> and and I'm I'm talking about the Goblet of Fire as well, which I hate. So uh Besides that, I've been going back and watching most things Joss Whedon from television. And I'm watching Dollhouse uh all the way through with my younger brother who's not seen it before. And uh nice. we're having a good time there. It's a good show. You gotta check that one out. Yeah, I, I started to watch it because I loved everything else that I've seen from Joss Whedon. Obviously, Buffy and uh, uh, Angel, I, I liked both of those, even though a lot of people didn't like Angel. Um, and, you know, loved Firefly and was sad that it didn't have a life beyond the uh, first season that Fox screwed up. So, uh, yeah, I, I should definitely I, – I, I, found, I found the premise – I think we've talked – I feel like we've talked about this before, but I found the premise of Dollhouse a little bit um, – it, it didn't lend itself – like because when I watch TV and or movies, I like to get into the characters, and she's a different character every time, and it's hard to, to find who your character is. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, having, having watched the uh, Dollhouse first season and I think – almost all of the second I, I i wasn't a super huge fan but my my boyfriend liked it um and the uh it, it was but it was very weird because the uh the they do get around the hurdle of you being able to relate to this character like she doesn't they they aren't all blank slate stuff starts happening mm-hmm. um and and it turns into a more of a serial arc through the rest of that first series uh first season um but uh, it, 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 it's it's really like uh, the main character of Echo with the Eliza Duke show. She um, never won me over because there's something about her acting range that didn't lend itself well to the array of characters that mm-hmm. she had to portray. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I felt all of the other uh, actors and that were uh, portraying multiple people did an amazing job. Um, I, I felt like her as the lead it really kind of held it back, uh, and the the budgets seemed to shrink over time. Yeah, like it just it just seemed like there there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, sci fi production value mm-hmm. to what was happening on the screen. Yeah, it sort of feels like um, it, it, it. You know, Firefly was technically a flop um, because Fox canceled it, but it feels like the only real flop that Joss Whedon really kind of had, from what I saw. And I think part of you know part of what uh, was going on there with Eliza Dushku or however you say her name is that um, you know she. I think she got the role because of her previous association with Joss Whedon in, in Buffy and Angel as Faith, and and I just don't. I, I felt like she was still playing Faith from what you know the couple episodes that I saw, and it just you're right the the range there just wasn't great, and so that's part of it. And then I you know like I said I think that the whole premise is just kind of flawed in order to to really hook you into the TV show. So hmm. um, interesting. Yeah, there's there's some good uh, there's some better stuff, um, especially when you get to the other characters on the show later in the season uh I, yep 
so I don't want to I don't want to write it off as like you shouldn't go back and watch it if if it even remotely interests you. Oh, it in does terms of, for sure. Yeah, but uh, especially if I think it's free on Netflix or something. But um, if if that interests you, then go ahead. But I couldn't. I yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I can see why it was canceled. Um, yeah. But uh, then again, I am also um, not to shock and appall you, but I am not a fan of Firefly. Uh, oh no 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 yeah no. all right we gotta stop the podcast this can't go on no. <laughs> uh, horse horses in space don't do it for me um i <laughs> yeah you, you said it rose and still i'm with you what yeah, wait, wait, wait what what you're betraying me what is this oh i thought it was a very great uh concept and i can understand why the show was produced in the first place i felt like uh it like the cast oftentimes didn't know what to do with themselves because it, the the genre mashup was so challenging that it took them out of the story and acting experience to just to try and like appreciate how they were supposed to take their roles seriously. But maybe that was just me. That was just something I, I, I kind of got throughout the series. Like some, it, it seemed like it was always half a dozen scenes from show to show where they didn't know if they were supposed to take their part seriously. It was like watching something out of the, the 60s Star Trek where the, the characters thought that they were just uh, like play acting. And, uh, you know, it, it, I got that kind of impression from a lot of the content out of Firefly. Where's uh, – I, I need Fizz to back me up here. Where's Fizz when you need him? All right. All right. Well, we should move on then. Uh, did, you, did you have anything you We can't you wanted... agree about anything today. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. Why, why, why do we have a podcast again? Uh, Joe Rosenstiel, did you have anything you wanted to add in terms of what you'd been watching? No, nothing noteworthy. Um, okay. All right, well, um, there is a rumor that Star Trek could be returning to TV. This has been an off-again, on-again rumor, and this is reported by Russ Fisher over at Slash Film. He says, over the weekend, a new rumor cropped up about Star Trek returning to television. We've heard similar talk before, but details ranging from a couple possible new series to a new animated Trek. This time, the report is partially based on the old Star Trek Federation pitch made a decade ago, which was in development as a possible CBS series. Uh, Blah, 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 Brian Singer... Uh, obviously, they'd be cooking it up over at CBS uh, because that's who owns the television rights to Star Trek. Um, so uh, let's see. I'm trying to find something a little more relevant here. Back when J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot took over the feature side of Trek, any chance of a new TV series more or less died. CBS was already feeling like a brand had been uh, stretched to the limit, which uh, they were not wrong. Uh, <laughs> but now, as Abrams has moved away from Trek, the number of successful genre shows on television has truly prolifer- proliferated. The time seems right for Trek to return to television. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm curious to know what a Star Trek television series would look like in a post-J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot uh, universe. Hmm. And I know that Joe, uh, Joe Rosenstiel, that you're going to have some things to say about this based on what I've seen from you on Twitter. So why don't you, why don't you kick us off on some of your thoughts here? Um, well, yeah, uh, there's, there was a, not, not too long ago, um, the uh, incomparable podcast had their uh, little Star Trek club thing. And one of the things mm-hmm. is a hypothetical reboot uh, about a show and like where, what directions it could go in. And uh, I blogged a little based on that uh, about, you know, wh- where, where would it go? Cause I think for sure that the movies um, are not the strong point of Star Trek. Uh, I think there are good Star Trek movies, but especially recently uh it it is all about action adventure crisis stuff Mm -hmm. um most notably the last two have been about blowing up san francisco uh and 
uh, I don't I don't know why we need to keep doing that like <laughs> no twice. Kidding. Yeah, yeah, and, and you have to have a vengeful bad guy who is basically modeled after uh, Ricardo Montalban's bad guy in Star Trek Two. There needs to be vengeance. Um, Nero, vengeful, um, and uh, and uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch um, playing his version of uh, Khan uh, was vengeful. Uh, <laughs> yes. But he, it's one of those things where it's just like, it's not really the, that's not all of Star Trek. And so I kind of want to see the variety that you could get from the show. Uh, and you can't put the kinds of stuff from the TV series up on the big screen mm-hmm. uh, all the time because it would it would be pretty silly, especially like if you think about some Star Trek: The Next Generation plots. Like uh, we just watched uh, Imaginary Friends, uh, Imaginary Friend uh, last weekend. It was on TV mm-hmm. on like BBC America or something, mm-hmm. um, and the whole entire plot of that is some girl that we'd never see again and never talk about ever again. Uh, on the enterprise starts seeing uh, an alien creature manifest and telling her to do things and has to, uh, the, the enterprise is trapped in a nebula and stuff. And it's like, you, you couldn't do that on a movie budget. Like you couldn't put that out into a theater that that would be absolutely ridiculous. You'd be left out of the, the, the boardroom where you even pitch that idea. Yep. Um, so it always has to be about blowing stuff up, uh, which, which I am just tired of. Uh, so I am all in favor of it going back to TV and I think that there's all kinds of stuff that they could do with it. Um, but I am also somebody who felt like it wasn't tapped out. It just, they had the wrong people who were running it that, who were tapped out. Yes. Uh, I, I felt like Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, who had been shepherding Star Trek since Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, were tired uh, and kept going back to the well of all of the things that they had done before and that everything felt recycled and there was a certain sameness and a safeness. Uh, it, it wasn't challenging at any kind of a moral or ethical level. Uh, there was nothing really reaching out into the the great beyond on on Enterprise or on Voyager. So it, it's not it's not a surprise that people feel like the series was tired, but it's just it was the people running it. I think needed to be swapped out. Yep. Yeah, and I want to clarify the comments I made when I was reading the thing and I said they weren't wrong. Uh, they weren't wrong that it felt tapped out. I think maybe what you're saying is kind of resonating with me, and that's a better way to put it is they weren't wrong that it felt tapped out. Um, yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, Rick Berman, I don't have a lot of love for him anymore, and I feel like that's probably um, uh, misplaced because I felt like – Look, I mean, I really loved Star Trek The Next Generation, and I really loved Deep Space Nine, two totally very different shows, and I know Gene Roddenberry would have hated DS9, and I get that, but I love DS9 anyway. Um, Voyager certainly felt like it was fizzling down, even though there were some great episodes in there, and Enterprise was pretty terrible for the first two seasons, and it got better, but it never, never got to be what it could have been, and and. And I felt like Enterprise was the wrong – and here's my overall thing with Star Trek. I felt like Enterprise is the wrong direction. I always wanted Star Trek to be moving forward. I was happy with the shared kind of universes of Next Generation flowing into Deep Space Nine, flowing into Voyager. I was very happy with that whole world building. And then we went back, and we, we went back to before, and it just – oh, it's just uh, – and so the, part of my – uh, and I think this maybe colored my perception of Star Trek 2009, which I felt like I just I, I wanted something different, and, it, and Star Trek 2009 just didn't fill the fit the bill for me. 
and and I liked Into Darkness a lot better, but yeah, the the whole uh, venge- vengeance thing is just getting old, and and I really hope with J.J. Abrams not in the director's chair anymore, we can get something different. That aside. I I don't feel like we have anybody in the mix here. I, I haven't heard anything that would interest me in a series right now. That that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I I don't have a lot of faith in what they would do with a series right now. You don't, you don't have a lot of faith of the heart. <laughs> oh, please. Uh, uh, I wish I could do. I wish I could do quips that way. Joe, you uh, probably don't even understand that. Uh, the, nope. the, the, the single worst thing that ever happened in Star Trek was that theme song. Let, let me just yes. say that. Uh, uh, well, hands down, agree. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that theme song is just awful. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm, uh, yeah, and I'm even I, I'm even comparing this with you know when I say the worst thing, I'm taking into consideration the third season of the original series. <laughs> so, but well, there, there's one thing is is uh, even on Variety today uh, there was a piece um, or, or was it. Uh, oh no, it was actually the Hollywood Reporter. Sorry, uh, uh, a reporter had written a piece about how um, there should be a Star Trek cinematic universe, and I was just like, "Jesus, what is wrong with you?" <laughs> um, this this person writing this thing got several facts wrong, including captioning I saw uh, that, yes. the Enterprise as as, as Sony and and <laughs> writing that the reboot happened in 2013, but it's okay. It's fine. Tell uh, us your opinions on Star Trek person. <laughs> research that. Uh, when I the, saw you tweeted that, I almost yeah. I almost responded to both you and the journalist, uh, hashtag journalism, but I refrained. <laughs> no, I was trying not to be too mean to him. Right. You know, his heart was in the right place. I mean, because he's technically correct. It's like, there's a lot they could spin off and do. I just, I just felt it was oversimplifying things to... I, I feel like a lot of journalism, especially about movies these days, is about uh, cinema universes. And I... Y- it, it it irritates me because it's just like and in the comparison he made was uh star trek had its own cinematic universe you know the in the 90s everything was great and i was just like are you kidding me like the idea of spin-offs has been around for forever mm-hmm. um it, it's it's not it, it's not a new thing so it's I don't, I don't even know why it was worth bringing it up but i do agree that they should do something um and they should spin off something sure uh because i think it's stagnant right now yeah uh but, yeah, but, yeah, and, and to something you said earlier, Star Trek uh, originated on TV, and I think it is best on TV. Some of my favorite Trek, uh, you know, uh, The Wrath of Khan is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I'm aware of its flaws, and I'll say that, that anyway, that it's one of my favorite movies of all time. But it still, in some ways, doesn't measure up to what Star Trek can be, you know, when, when the next generation really got cooking, and when it really gave us those great storylines in seasons, you know, Four, three, even three, four, five, and and six. You know when it really was just you know banging on all cylinders, and I I, I want to see that again from Star Trek. I, I I just don't know if we can you know Star Trek has been the you know this the the, uh, the series of comebacks. You know Star Trek Two was a comeback. You know the Next Generation was a comeback. I just don't know if they can keep capturing this lightning in a bottle, but maybe they can. You've been pretty quiet, Joe Darnell. What do you what do you have to say? Well, I'm really and truly deeply an outsider when it comes to Star Trek I television know, shows. My only understanding of them, it comes from watching, catching it, playing catch up with the first and second generations on Netflix. And my <laughs> I- impression of them is so basic. Like I have not seen every episode of those two series. I have a small inkling of what Deep Space Nine and Voyager were about because I saw a few episodes on really bad broadcasting television when I was a kid where we had very poor antenna reception. So it was difficult to get a whole episode intact. 
Uh, I actually watched like an episode or two of Voyager trying to understand them from start to finish without being able to hear any of the dialogue because it was all just static noise. And <sighs> those were the days, right? Um, but <laughs> as sorry, just a, a, a very casual uh, Trek uh, watcher, I, I completely agree with your opinions just from what little I know of. But I will add this, that I, I could easily become a Trek enthusiast. I think it just would take the right series so if there's a rumor around that there is a, a potential new show in the making, in the works, I feel hopeful, not optimistic, but kind of like, hey, you know, if they have something that really works this time, I'm, I'd be, I, could, I could get into it. I'm, I'm not hesitant about giving it a shot. So, but, but, but my opinion is uninformed. So I'm just thinking about it as an everyday yokel who doesn't know any better. But I think that's, I think that's actually great. Because the only the only way uh, Star Trek would be any kind of success is if people who are not already interested in Star Trek were interested in it. Uh, that's not to say that it should shun the fans or anything, but um, the, they're, uh, a lot of people are put off and intimidated by uh, the amount of Star Trek out there uh, that they don't know, they don't comprehend, that it's just for nerds, that it's... Uh, sort of uh you know it's it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of television they're mm-hmm. not going to they're not going to catch up overnight they're not going to know all the references they're not going to get why they can and can't do certain things so if there is a series that comes in it ha- is going to have to uh do some hand holding for first timers um and enterprise was pitched as the series that was supposed to do that that was supposed to be a way in for people it wasn't going to deal with all the cruft that had built up because it was going to go back to a simpler time. Wait, this is you're talking about Enterprise? <laughs> that was that was that was their pitch. <laughs> that was their pitch. It, it totally didn't work that way. No, it was a complete disappointment. Um, they they just wound up making a complete mess and trying to rehash next generation scripts all over again. But uh, mm-hmm. the it didn't it didn't uh, uh, it didn't deliver on its promise, uh, and I think that is. Definitely the, the showrunners uh, that sabotage that, uh, but it, it, it's still possible, and I think it needs to be done because otherwise, if you bring in something that is either like first series, but it's redoing all of the episodes of the first series, that's going to be interminable. Um, or if you bring in something that is supposed to take place before, or slightly after that, or before the next generation, or something like that, like it's just going to be weird. So I have no idea when they'd set this because. In, in my ideal of uh, if I was running anything, what I would do is I would just set it to be uh, after everything, all of all of the things to set it after it and then just say any variation from here on forward is just a result of whatever happened in the JJ movies that are still ongoing. Uh, so, you know, if there's some slight makeup difference or there's a, you know, a ship doesn't look exactly the same or something like that. Like it's not, it's not going to be the end of the world. Right. Uh, and nobody needs to be super familiar with the episodes that happened before in next generation or deep space nine, but fans of that can still follow along. That, that would be my compromise. I think, uh, I don't know what they have in mind for what they're going to do. Uh, so good luck to them. 
Well, I think JJ has already proven that we don't need to be attached to the, uh, the, uh, the you know, the cruft of the previous, you know, movies when he can just take a, you know, warp out of space dock and be at, at uh, Kronos in uh, 15 minutes. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, well, his Star Trek movies are about the characters. I know. And yeah. they have, they have nothing to do with the plot or anything thought provoking. Um, they, they are ways for these characters to act out dramatic stuff and, it can captivate you, which is why you can follow along on this emotional roller coasters the characters are on. But then when you walk out of the movie theater, you're like, hey, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, why were they inside the the missile things? Like why, yeah, why no. are they in the torpedoes? <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna send Kirk out armed with uh, human torpedoes and hope, hopefully he's gonna fire them at Kronos. That's the plan. Uh I really did like Into Darkness, but there were things like that. It's just like, really? Come on. Just, just to work on that a little bit, and then it doesn't, you know, the movie can still be good and not leave a sour aftertaste in our mouths. <sighs> anyway, we, need, we really ought to move on. Uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> Where are we on this second topic? On <laughs> yes, your... <laughs> I'm going to scratch some of these. Uh, I might just mention them in passing. Uh, I did want to talk about this House of Cards thing. Uh, House of Cards Season 4 is set for 2016, so we're definitely getting a, uh, a Season 4 of House of Cards. I have a confession to make. I have not seen Season 3 yet. I know, I know, but I'm trying to catch up on some other TV, and my wife has been dragging her feet because she was so depressed after Season 2. Uh, so we're, we're, we're waiting. I'm going to watch it soon. But the thing that I wanted to mention... Um, who knows? Who here knows how many uh, cards are in a deck of cards? Fifty-two. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, no. Yes, fifty something. There are fifty-two. There are fifty-two. Huh. How many then are in a suit? What? Oh, thirteen. How many episodes are in a season of House of Cards? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I just wanted to. I just wanted to point out my theory that season four is going to be the last series. Uh, last uh, last season. Huh. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, interesting. I, I think that's a pretty smart choice on their part because they've milked the drama really well. And four years, four years in office. Uh, I, I can see how Kevin Spacey would like to move on with his career and play other characters. You know, that's what most of the the big bill you know stars want to do. Uh, and he he's been there. He's you know made his uh, impact on you know, video streaming content on Netflix. I mean, now what are you going to do? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on to be a part of another film, if he felt inclined to, or just go back to movies, you can only milk it for so much, right? I think it would be wise of them if they would end it after season four. Um, I, I've heard mixed reports about season three and I, I, to me, like season one was fantastic. Season two was good. And I, I know that's, that's, you know, that's a, a uh, loaded opinion. I, I understand that, but um, you know, season three sounds like maybe a continuing decline. We're seeing great, good, okay, and then hopefully season four won't be terrible. You know, but it, I think it would be wise of them to end it after season four. Um, but I, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, I, it's not my. <laughs> I have to be honest. It's not my theory. I heard it from somewhere, but I'm 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 taking it for my own now. The the you know thirteen card you know thirteen cards in a in a suit suit and and uh, fifty two in a deck and whatever. Mm. <sighs> All right, that's House of Cards. Uh, any comments uh, from uh, you, Mr. Rosenstiel? I've never seen an episode of House of Cards. Oh, my goodness. I Do don't you know have how, apprehension what, what have about you, it? What, are you living under a rock? Is everything okay over there? Is, uh, I thought you, uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I just I couldn't get on board right when it first came out, and then it was so far behind. I was just like, oh, I'll just wait. And mm. so I'm, I'm still waiting. I'm that's glad everybody enjoys it, though. I don't have any like personal grudge against it. Um, uh, uh, with with, I, I also haven't seen Lost, so, you know. Well, you're not missing anything there. Yeah. 
Um, I, I watched the first season and I just could not go on. It was so bad. And, and uh, again, I, I'm, I am not known for my uncontroversial opinions. So <laughs> it was just terrible. And I am in the minority of people who have seen lost who didn't like it. So, uh, let, let's, let's move on. Uh, survivor trailer, uh, featuring Pierce Brosnan as a mad bomber. And I just want to know why, 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 why is this guy not retired? The last movie I saw him in, mm. I didn't care. I don't know. Why not TJ? Because in the last movie, his his name was November Man. This time, oh, he man. is called the Watchmaker. Well, the weird thing was, um, this trailer like it featured Pierce Brosnan for uh, like three seconds, and then it mostly featured uh, Mila Jovovich. Um, so I didn't get the impression from the trailer that he is going to be the star of the film. No, not or at the, all. You know, he's not. I mean, like he's top billing, but he's not going to be the essential star. They just wanted his name. Sure, why not? That's all. Actually, I think uh, what was it the the film that was supposed to come out this month uh, or next month was with Pierce Brosnan was was pulled. Oh, from, I don't know. Uh, I heard that. Yeah, it was Paramount. I think uh, they they pulled the film um, at the last minute, uh, like uh, last week or the week before, uh, which is relatively close to when a film is supposed to be coming out. Mm-hmm. So I, I have no Jeez. idea what in the world happened. Um, but, uh, maybe, maybe things aren't all sunshine and roses. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I was not, all, I was not very impressed with November man. And, uh, I think that he probably should just go ahead and retire while he's ahead. Uh, I don't know. Cause I, I, I don't, I mean, I've seen several things that he's been in and I was a big fan. When, when my wife and I were first married, we, we said, we, we, we found a TV show that we wanted to watch with him in it. Remington steel. It's an old TV show, wonderful TV show in many ways. Uh, very, very dated. And it was just in, in, in that way, a very wonderful TV show. Um, and, and, so it's not like I don't like Pierce Brosnan, but I'm just like the things that I've seen, the trailers that I've seen for him lately. And then of course watching November man, I'm like, I just don't think he has it anymore. Let's just, let's, let's, let's just uh, end it on a better note. I don't know. <laughs> I, I liked him in a uh, world's end, but he didn't really do much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. He was in world's end. What did he, he do again? Yeah. Uh, Cause uh, they, in the, Cornetto trilogy. They've got Timothy Dalton in uh, in Hot Fuzz, and they've got uh, Paris Brosnan in um, in World's End. And uh, he was the was it professor um, or uh, their their old teacher? Uh, oh, huh. And I uh, about that, I saw. Yeah. I remember remember vaguely that film. <laughs> I, I I got the gist of the film. <laughs> I didn't see it, so you know, shame on me. Wah wah. Uh, yeah, there he is down there. Uh, all right. So he plays somebody named Guy Shepard. All right. So, um, (laughs) cruising along here, trying to get to our main review now. Uh, Netflix, uh, eyes a full house sequel series. Why? (laughs) I don't know. Oh, come on. No, no, no. Give it a chance. No, 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 no. Well, see, here's the thing. Like, I don't have any special (laughs) affection for the TV series, but, um, you know, I enjoyed watching it when I was a kid in the nineties and nobody's going to make you watch a TJ. I I don't, I don't don't, not sure what we're doing here uh i'm not sure what place a full house anything has in 2015 <laughs> hmm well it was pretty I, popular yeah I, i'm with joe darnell here the other prime primary joe okay um, you're, with, I'm, you're I, with yourself and you're with me is what you're saying yes the joes are in, in agreement um uh Inception. but 
<laughs> Joe Winston. Uh, but the the uh, yeah, I, I I don't. It doesn't bother me when things get put into production because if it doesn't work out, then that'll kind of course correct for itself. Uh, it, it's not my money. Um, <laughs> but the the uh, and hopefully that would tell them you know in the future to not do that and to do other things. But uh, there is a lot of interest in reviving. Uh, properties from the '90s because people from the '90s are all grown up and they have uh, their their childrens and 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 whatnot and they want to watch uh, good wholesome entertainment that they enjoyed in the '90s. Uh, and it's not the only thing that's being brought back from the '90s. Um, X Files and everything <laughs> True, else. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's definitely a trend. But uh, whatever happens with it. You know, God bless. I don't care. Um, but the it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt anything. Uh, the, the thing I find more interesting is the amount of uh, TV series that Netflix is bringing to bear on the market. That's true. Um, yeah, there's supposedly I saw I think I saw on Twitter. Uh, I can't remember who it was. It was 450 million they're putting into original content That's for. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just for TV series; it's also for films. Um, although the films. Uh, all of the large distributors are, uh, sorry, all of the large theater chains are refusing to exhibit because of the day and date release with them appearing on Netflix. Just shooting uh, themselves in the foot. Uh, well, yeah. this is the thing. Like, I, I'm, I am excited about that aspect of it. I, I'm excited to see the, the digital revolution that's taking place. I'm, I'm, I really feel like we're going to look back and say, "Whoa, we lived through a major digital revolution." Um, because this is the new way that content is being delivered, and like it or not, I think it's here to stay. And and there's been some bumps along the way. There's no doubt. And and yes, I while I am a Hulu subscriber, I recognize the issues with it, and I hate some of the stuff that they do. I hate that I have to pay for to see the the shows still delayed by 24 hours that I want to see, and still have to sit through ads. I hate all that, but it is the only way to do it right now. But I I think it is the future, right? And certainly, what Netflix is doing is the future. Like they are becoming a a content producer and provider they're they're the new way forward um so i'm excited to see you know more competition in the space for sure but i'm definitely excited with what netflix is doing in that regard i'm, I'm just not sure about some of their choices here <laughs> so um all right uh, i want to joe ask you about mm-hmm. this before we get to uh, giselle um okay. and enchanted uh i want to ask you about your opinions because you're you're our, our I, I like tron legacy but you're like you worship tron mm. legacy so, i am the resident tron worshiper yes okay. so i want to know what you feel what you think about uh the news about uh tron ascension possibly being the name of the next film and and what you think about the direction things are going in here good title done all right no actually <laughs> I, I am interested in this film it's by another joseph joseseph kaczynski and oh, the, the if, Joes are just taking over this podcast. I don't know. What to do yeah. And if we get what we want, it's going to be a pretty good film. I, I, I'm optimistic because I personally, I think that while the original Tron was groundbreaking for its visual effects, special effects and all the other effects, it was uh, disappointing at best. I don't know why it would have really uh, panned out well to make a lot of money off of that back in the eighties for Disney, because it was, I mean, it seems like it was uh, a bunch of geeks that uh, had the weekends off to put together something with scraps left over from the wardrobe department with neon painted lights onto you know cellophane and you know again leftover costumes from say uh, Richard Donner's Superman and tinfoil material used for Kryptonians in '78. Uh, I don't know where I just went with all that, but my point is <laughs> is that. 
Tron Legacy was where it was at for me because it incorporated all the things we kind of nostalgically appreciate about gaming uh, gaming culture. And then it also had a pretty compelling premise for a father-son relationship. It has uh, Kevin Flynn, uh, a.k.a. Jeff Bridges. The dude. And even if it's not his best role, we have a pretty intense uh, sort of situation where you know it, all the stakes are pretty high. We have some original characters, original premises because we're talking about um, sort of like anthropomorphizing and giving intelligence to programs Mm -hmm. and who knows what that would look like. But you're talking about a whole new world out there, a whole new creation. And some parts of it are going to be boring because programs don't have a history. And we kind of saw that with Tron Legacy where where there might have been lulls in the story. It's because the characters are underdeveloped because they're – well, they're just programs. They, they don't have a history. They don't, they don't have a culture. And it's when it's unexciting, it's because it's just following the tropes of a, of a story that is, you know, the, the bad guys chasing good guys, good guys trying to get away from bad guys. And so the adventure hype is surrounding just, uh, the, the action of we're in a cha- a series of chase sequences, which uh, pop up in a ton of movies these days. So all of that to say, I thought what made Tron Legacy really special was what what they did at the very end of the film when they allowed for a program character to become fully materialized in the real world and walk among the living creatures. And this was something that I thought was totally laid in there for the sequel. And so what's less interesting to me is the news about the title being Tron Ascension. What is more interesting to me is what they said at the end of the article. I was which just about just, to get to that, yeah. Right, yeah. So Kaczynski said in 2013 of the then-developing script for a third Tron that the fundamental idea of the movie is something I'm very excited about. It delivers on the ideas that we set up in Legacy, especially at the end of the last five minutes. And if you're familiar with those last five minutes, then – it's going to be pretty cool. And in some ways it actually kind of relates to enchanted where, you know, fictional characters pop up in the supposed mm-hmm. real world. Mm-hmm. It's along those lines. I just, I, I think that it's like enchanted for adults. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting that it's, you know, the that, digital space meets the real world. Eh, we'll get into this in a minute, but that would indicate that enchanted was not for adults. And I would disagree. Um, so yeah, the, the the only you know thing that we're, we're you're wondering about now is if Olivia Wilde is going to return, and I feel like if she's not, they ought to just hang it up now. But but again, it, it's inescapable if Kaczynski is to fulfill that original premise for the sequel. He has to have her. It's it, it's like nope, 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 nope. You you do not get to go, a Pasco collect two hundred dollars if you do not have Olivia Wilde reprising Cora. I agree. I completely agree. Yeah, and and the you know the last five minutes you say that it was primarily there to set up the sequel, but I you know I feel like it did both really well. It tied up the the previous story, but it left us wanting more, much more. We we know there's a sequel coming, and it's been a long time coming. Like I can't believe they haven't made it before now. I'm trying to remember. Did the film not do so well? Is that why it's taken so long? It to- didn't. It, it didn't wow the box office in America, mm. but worldwide it paid off. They got their gross. They I mean they they paid off the film and they made some money. So. I can tell you this: when I want to get some uh, some real work done and get some real you know heavy duty code written on the uh, development stuff that I'm working on, I turn on the Tron Legacy soundtrack and I'm good to go. So there mm. is that. I hope we get another one like an, another soundtrack like that one. So mm. before we move on, Me too. Joe Rosensteel, do you have anything you want to weigh in on? Uh, I like Legacy, but I I like it as a 
audio visual spectacle experience. I, 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 I didn't, it didn't so much follow along with the plot stuff. I didn't <laughs> care as much, but okay. uh, it's, it's good that you guys care. I just, I just, I liked the audio visual stuff. If it is going to be anchored oh, yeah. more in the real world though, uh, in the sequel, then, um, I don't know if I'm going to be as interested if it is the same kind of writing as it was in the first one. So I'm hoping that either if, if they are going to be heavily in the real world, they need to ground the writing more, uh, or if they are going to, uh, go back into the computer and like cut back and forth or something, um, have some, some kind of interplay that at least whatever is inside the computer will be as interesting or as spectacular as it was inside of legacy. Uh, cause I, I think that that, I think the spectacle of the visuals and the, uh, and the music really carried the whole film. Um, and without that, I don't, I don't think anybody would be talking about any kind of a sequel to it. Yeah, I mean, it's real. I really do look at it as a, a like a three legged stool almost, or the three primary pillars, and and one of them was a little bit weak. And you're right, the story could have been better. Uh, I I I think I like the story better than what you're describing, but the the music and the visuals certainly are what carried the film. Um, and I'm I'm looking forward to a sequel. But to be clear, it's Joe Darnell who is the uh, Tron Legacy, you know, nut case around here. Um, sure. So we all got to be nuts for something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see where a sequel will go. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. All right. So now you let's don't have to indulge my tastes in the future, TJ. No, you, don't, sure I do. you don't have to do that. <sighs> it's your, no, I mean, well, it's your what show. we really need, what we really need is the Tron cinematic universe. <laughs> and that, that'll, that'll really just, set everything up. Yeah. D- just to tie everything up and put a little bow on it there and bring it back <laughs> around. Yeah. That's uh, that's perfect. Did, did either of you watch the, uh, whatever that was, the cartoon they spun off of the movie? No, are you um, kidding? I have, I have some dignity. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was not a that was not a judgmental thing. I was, I was honestly curious. Uh, Joe, have, Joe Darnell, have you? No, I, I I mean I find it interesting that it has its own cult following. So, I but I haven't checked it out just because I'm not interested in the characters that have to be set up in such a way that they don't impact the movie universe. They ha- they can only impact each other and their own dev- uh, story arc. Um, this is a problem for a lot of kids' cartoon shows, uh, sci-fi related, where they they want to stand on their own footing. They they don't want they don't want to uh, get too involved with the uh, the films. It's sort of like the problem with um, yeah. Here's a good example with Agents of Shield, right? To some degree, careful they how you tread on my favorite show. They give the impression that the show influences the direction of the movies, and vice versa. But when it, what it really comes down to is that the movies direct everything, and then the show has to pretend that it's a part of the bigger cinematic universe. Mm. That's the way I feel about it. So th- that for that kind of reason, I'm just not especially interested in what they can do with a television series. But I, I am interested to hear what you're going to say, Rosenstiel. Oh, no, I didn't watch it. Uh, I was curious. <laughs> okay. And I, I do agree, though, with your criticism that it's hard to get emotionally invested in something that doesn't seem like it's really linked up to uh, what, what's actually happening in, in all the other properties or whatever. Like, if it's just something that'll be shrugged off. Uh, like, that's how I feel about uh, the 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 Star Wars uh, animated stuff with the Clone Wars and with Rebels. There's, there are a lot of Star Wars fans who are really amped up about Rebels, and I'm just like, well... 
I watched a couple like minutes of it and it just kind of looks like they were trying to recapture a lot of the stuff from the original trilogy and uh but with kind of a children's cartoon bent to it and yeah it was it was just weird uh, like I, I i couldn't i couldn't get with it especially with when you know that it's supposed to be taking place in the time period that it's supposed to be taking place in this is how so i felt about, about like uh, shadows of the empire and like all all that stuff i don't know if you remember that from the 90s that when they had the video game shadows of the empire mm. uh, it, it, it was supposed familiar. to yeah it was supposed to take place between um uh the empire strikes back and return of the jedi and it, Han Solo is frozen in carbonite, so we had generic Han Solo um, with his generic Millennium Falcon, um, and he was off on his own little mission to do things. Um, it, it was it was one of those things that was a it was an N sixty four game, and it was huge for Star Wars nerds at the time. I had friends that were way into it, and I was just like, well, doesn't doesn't matter though. Like the movies <laughs> are done. Like it, it's not like you know this Prince Shizor guy is going to show up anywhere else. So. <laughs> He's, yeah. yeah who cares yeah I've, I've had a lot of uh, friends tell me i really need to get into like the clone wars the animated stuff and i'm just like I, I just i can't like i can't even begin to imagine how i could be into it i just don't get it so yeah you you can't even you literally can't i, I literally can't even <laughs> i even can't literally even i don't know how like, whatever i don't know what the kids say these days mm-hmm. all right well, we need to move on to our primary review, an hour and some <laughs> some change into this podcast. Let's talk about Enchanted. At least it was a short movie. <laughs> of all the classic Disney stories, of all the miraculous adventures, of all the magical tales... has never been anything like Enchanted. <laughs> Thank you. Because no other story has ever taken you <laughs> to a land as strange and terrifying as ours. Oh my. I was wondering if one of you might direct me to the castle. Watch it, will you? Grumpy. Nobody's been very nice to me. Yeah, well, welcome to New York. Thank you. All right, so Enchanted was released on November 21st of 2007, so it's a little older than most of the films that we review, but it's well worth it in my opinion. It had a budget of $85 million. The opening weekend, it brought in $34.4 million worldwide gross of $340.4 billion. The critics' consen- consensus on, yeah, The critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is that it is a smart reimagining of fairy tale tropes that's sure to delight children and adults. Enchanted features witty dialogue, sharp animation, and a star turn by Amy Adams. Director was Kevin Lima, the writer was Bill Kelly, and the stars were Amy Adams as Giselle, Patrick Dempsey as Robert, James Marsden as Prince Edward, Timothy Spall as Nathaniel, Idina Menzel as Nancy, Rachel Covey as Morgan, uh, Susan Sarandon as Queen Nerissa and Julie Andrews as the narrator. I didn't actually know that, that Julie Andrews was a na- narrator until I looked this up uh, about an hour ago. There was a narrator in this film? You don't remember the I narrator? I didn't even notice it. Yeah, no. totally. Huh. All right, the composer was Alan Menken. And Joe Darnell, why don't you tell us about the storyline of this film? Sure. 
The beautiful Princess Giselle is banished by an evil queen from her magical, musical, animated land and finds herself in the gritty reality of the streets of modern day Manhattan. Shocked by this strange new environment that doesn't operate on a happily ever after basis, Giselle is now adrift in a chaotic world badly in need of enchantment. But when Giselle begins to fall in love with a charmingly flawed, divorced lawyer, who has come to her aid, even though she is already promised to a, a, a perfect fairy tale prince back home, she has to wonder: Can a storybook view of romance survive in the real world versus the fairy tale world? All right. Um, so let's talk about this movie. I pretty much enjoy everything about this movie. It, it's been a couple of years since I saw it and I watched it. We, we sat down as a family, uh, maybe been Saturday night and watched this film. Uh, normally when I would uh, try to go catch a film in the, uh, in the theater. And, uh, so that was a lot of fun to actually sit down with the kids and watch it. I don't know that I'd ever done that. And, uh, they, there, there was a lot of stuff that they would laugh at that. I was just like, Oh, that's not funny. But then, you know, my wife and I would be laughing at something and they're like, we don't get it. <laughs> so that, that was a lot of fun. Uh, so, but it's one of those films that I think like, uh, we talk about this a lot on this podcast, like any good Pixar film, everybody can find something about the film that they like. Like there's, there's multiple levels on which the film speaks to people. And obviously, um, Joe, you, you called this film kind of more of, or you, it, you implied this film was kind of more of a, a children's film. And I, I don't really feel that way about this film. Um, I, uh, un, un, for better or worse, I don't have my uh, traditional list of likes and dislikes that I made uh, for this movie. Cause I just couldn't think about this movie in that way. Um, because I just enjoy this movie so much, uh, really? and it, it's hard for me to come up with a list of things like, here's the things that I like about this movie. But, but I can tell you that, that some of the things that I like about it are, uh, I like how much fun they've made of your traditional Disney, uh, cartoons. Um, you know, especially in the beginning of the film. Uh, but even so, even while making fun of it, I enjoyed the more traditional animation style. Uh, you, you, you guys probably remember, uh, back in the late nineties, how off the rails Disney animation went just terrible, sharp edges and jagged lines and just, uh, overemphasized features of characters. And so while they're making mm -hmm. fun of Disney, uh, tropes, uh, or fairy tale tropes or however you want to put that, they also brought, a, a, a brought back to mind, I think some of the much more charming and, and, and beautiful animation that Disney was much well known for, you know, back in the day. So that that's certainly one of the, the the aspects that I remembered right away when I started watching this film recently. So I'm kind of mm. uh, hogging the stage here. So why don't you guys jump in? No, 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 not at all. I want to hear what Rosenstiel has to say first. Uh, I was deeply skeptical of this film when I first heard of it, uh, and I was very happy to be proven wrong. Uh, it is a delightful romp that mm -hmm. uh, capitalizes on all of the. Disney tropes that you would have been familiar with if you had grown up watching any Disney animated movies of any kind, really. Uh, chief among them, uh, anything involving uh, the Disney princesses. Uh, <laughs> right. So it, it is very easy to to say like, oh, well, then that means that this movie is for, for girls or something. But uh, I, I, I would take issue with that. I think that there is a lot of uh, humor here. Uh, directed at everyone, just like uh, TJ was saying. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this uh, has a lot of, uh, and a lot of that is really because uh, Patrick Dempsey's such a grump 
that uh, <laughs> yes. he can act as he can act as the audience. Um, and uh, while Amy Adams is sort of hanging a lantern, uh, you know, to use mm-hmm. that term, yep. Yep. on everything that is a Disney trope on on all of the heavily uh, all of the uh, uh, happily ever afters and everything. While all that is happening. Uh, he can be the one to say like, this is ridiculous. Why does everybody in this park know this song? Um, <laughs> and, and point out all of the things that uh, we as the audience would say, he is perhaps, I think too kind in many instances, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. but, but yeah, it, 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 it is something that I'm willing to forgive as part of the film. Uh, and, and I think that uh, that's one of the, one of the things, one of the reasons why everyone can enjoy it is because if you are uh interested in sort of the off the wall lovey dovey romantic stuff then there's plenty to go on and if you are interested in sort of the more cynical uh deconstruction of that then there's plenty of that Mm -hmm. uh so it 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 offers a little bit of everything for everyone uh and uh when you had asked me on the show and i and you had asked me to suggest movie titles i threw out a bunch of random stuff and this this is one of those things i was just like i wonder if they'd go for it because i know that my, my co-host <laughs> focused is not as interested uh so it's just like <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see if they'll do it uh and it, it fooled you guys uh but <laughs> oh yeah yeah thanks for thanks for picking uh what, what i find to be a very deli- delightful movie yeah, well, and it's it's one of those things I would not necessarily have suggested it because uh, I have no idea. I, I like I said, I've only listened to three or four episodes of your podcast. I have no idea particularly what interests you necessarily, and it's just one of those films. Like I I tweeted out about that I was watching it the other day, and I got a response from one of my one of, one of my good friends. He's like, "Oh, that movie's terrible," you know. I'm like, "What what planet are you from?" And then his wife chimes in, and, she, and she's like. Oh, I thought it was great. You know, and I'm like, uh, oh, divorce in the future. <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> forever and ever. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Anyway, Joe Darnell. I, I was watching actually the movie through this afternoon. I was hoping to catch it with my daughter, but it, it didn't work out. And uh, when I said that this is not in an adult film, I think it's because you just feel really ridiculous if you're not watching it with the context of either uh, a you have a, a love for the classic fairy tale stories because you grew up with them and so you watched a lot of them as a child and so you just kind of like keep tabs on what they're doing with fairy tales and movies today. So you're watching this because you're just curious. Or on the other hand, you got kids, you got a wife, you've got younger siblings. And so you catch the movie with them just because, well, they're into it. They want to see it. They're at the proper age. The, the movie is more in keeping with what the, uh, the children want than what the adults want. Because I mean, like, honestly, uh, this is a rose colored glasses and over the top sort of like whitewashed version of New York. Let's face it. Like this is, <laughs> this is true to fairy tales, not entirely true to the real world. Like we kind of, y'all were joking a second ago about the musical number in the park where Patrick Dempsey's character is thinking to himself, how is it that everybody in Manhattan suddenly knows how to sing the song? And what cracks me up about that is when, by the end of that number, it actually feels like a number out of a Muppet movie. It, it doesn't, it, it, and the reason I say that is because the Muppets are the closest thing to seeing, uh, you know, storybook characters come to life, anthropomorphized into the real world uh, in in such a way that we've ever seen before. This kind of film, and maybe there's some other examples. I'm just not thinking of them. 
But what's what's interesting to me is like no matter what you do to tick off the people of New York, the total strangers, they just kind of like roll their eyes and say G-rated, you know, slurs, and you know they get <laughs> they get by by basically being pretty polite for everyday people on I the mean, streets. Did you want this film to be rated something other than G? I mean, no, but the, 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 he, he the point Christopher is Christopher Nolan's take. <laughs> yeah, let's see Christopher Nolan's Enchanted. Uh, you, well, I mean, the music would be overwhelming. You wouldn't be able to understand the dialogue. So there's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. Uh, um, oh, actually, I guess this film is rated PG. My bad. Another sort of like huge reason to appreciate the film as far as like any Disney movie, live action you know, movie is concerned involving princesses is concerned is that, um, it, it, hey, you know, I'm a dude. And I thought that the movie was interesting in terms of its premise uh, it it tugs on the heartstrings in the same way that Elf does. Where wait what, wait uh, what with without a doubt I am one hundred percent on board with what you just said. I was going to save that for later, <laughs> but it is but it is totally another. It is it is like the mirror version of Elf. Um, yes, with the fish out of water story in New York, it is child safe to watch. It has a, a wonderful happy ending and every, every, everything just fits together. And, it, and it's about the, the grumpy people who don't get it and don't believe anymore and educating them into the ways when they can believe and then educating these people who are, uh, shall we say not connected to reality, uh, about, about how they can be an integrated person in, in the real world. And so it, it is, it, it is very similar to Elf, and what I really want to see is the spinoff movie where uh, we have uh, Buddy the Elf and Giselle hanging out together for Christmas <laughs> in New York, and then they have to do something together uh, that it, that is both uh, both Disney themed and, and 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 Christmas uh, story themed. It'd be amazing, I think. Guys, you left me behind a little bit back there. I need to go back to the part where you thought that Elf tugged on the heartstrings. I, I just, I'm, I'm stuck oh, really? back there. I, what? No, I say there. this, unfortunately, I say this as a person who just couldn't make it through that movie and turned it off. Uh, can I fire you from your podcast? Let's pretend that you can, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. The Joes make a unanimous vote. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's just uh, I just couldn't do it. Uh, so, so any comparison that you make of this movie to Elf just just doesn't work for me. <laughs> okay, well, I, I okay. like this movie so much. Well, TJ, let's let's look at the list here. Uh, they're both set in Manhattan. They're both uh, storybook characters that visit the real world. We have uh, both of them have sort of a childlike innocence and joy about their entire outlook about everything. Yes, but they're Amy both- Adams doesn't annoy me. <laughs> But they're they're both trying to be reunited to a significant other, someone in the city befriends them and tries to help them out. Eventually, that person is actually drawn to the princess or the elf and feels like they're leading the better life and they're inspired by their character and want to live a better life. They, they enjoy the reprieve. Like th- that's the thing that, you know, elf's father and family ultimately enjoy the reprieve that the elf brings into their life. And the same goes for Mr. Phillips, the, you know, the divorced attorney dude who, who just, you know, kind of appreciates the, the escape from real life and the, the, and the, he welcomes the innocence and the, the joy the simple joy that the, the princess Giselle is able to bring him. 
then by the end of the film, you have the elf and the princess both acclimating to the real world, understanding that now that their eyes have been opened, that they have had a taste of the real world, that their, their vision of the world was too small to begin with. And, uh, you know, Giselle has that, that eyes opened moment when she appreciates anger for the first time. <laughs> that was pretty, that was pretty good. I enjoyed yeah. that. Uh, th- now there really wasn't a, there wasn't really a strong villain in, uh, in elf. Uh, that, that's one <laughs> the thing. Central Park Rangers. A, yeah, <laughs> not really. Well, I'm glad the comparison works for you guys. I, mm, yeah, it's not working for me. Uh, uh, oh, mm-hmm. all right. uh, Everybody you'll, you'll has their reconsider. flaws. <laughs> that's right <laughs> Recon- reconsidered and overruled um <clears throat> so says the uh, judge and the jury um all right so i i want to talk about how great amy adams is not just in this film but i the thing is like i have yet to see her in a film that i didn't like her and the role that she was playing regardless of the fact that i may not have liked the film in which she was in uh take uh man of steel for instance i liked her take on lois lane i did not like man of steel at all um so there's that did, did you watch julie and uh julia uh i haven't i'm trying to have uh, that it was name... her weakest performance i had to yeah have to, okay. so. yeah that's that's why i brought it up <laughs> okay so you, you didn't like her in that <laughs> no um i liked meryl streep as uh julia childs but uh amy adams as as the julie character hmm, interesting we'll have to watch it just to irritating. see if i can find a performance from her that i didn't like um, I, I, I thought that she single-handedly made Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, a decent film, which uh, had no right to be, right? I mean, like, that film had no right to be any good at all. But there was actually a couple of things that worked in that film's favor, and she was one of them. Um, I really enjoyed her in American Hustle. Uh, fantastic performance. Uh, Trouble with the Curve. Again, a film that has no right to be any good, and uh, she makes it really good. Um, so I, I, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case of this film, but she did turn in a wonderful performance. Like you, I certainly believed, you know, that she was this princess that, you know, from this fairy tale, like she, she made it work. Like she was, she was that princess that had no idea how to live in the real world. Just uh, fantastic. I thought. Yeah. She completely Mm -hmm. inhabited the role. She was effervescent. Uh, like she, I didn't. There wasn't a single moment where I thought she was actually a real person, right? Uh, which is a compliment for the specific thing that she was doing, here. right? Yes, uh, that, that she felt exactly like uh, one of these Disney, Disney princess characters brought to life, and I don't, I don't mean um, in a uh, in, in that a, in a trite way. I mean in the they they specifically brought up this trope inside of this film of who this person would be in the cartoon opening of this film. And they brought that person from a cartoon into the real world. And mm-hmm. then that actually happened. Um, there are a lot of ways in which that could have gone wrong. And you could have cast somebody who would have tried to make this uh, a little more grounded in reality. And I think that would have been bad. Because I think that it's great that she is so clueless and aloof and doesn't understand and clearly can't comprehend things. And the way that she acts uh, fulfills all of my expectations of of, of how I would think a disney character would behave in the real world um yeah, yeah. i think the same goes for um uh what's his name uh the, the prince edward um uh, james, james marson yeah 
Yeah. Uh, and and it's, I feel so bad for him. He always gets these roles. Like think of his role in X Men, and he never gets the girl. Right? I mean, <laughs> he never he didn't get the girl here. Uh, he didn't get Lois Lane in uh, Superman Returns. So I feel kind of bad for him. But he he got the girl in Twenty Seven <laughs> Dresses. What's not to like about Twenty Seven Dresses? I'm not I'm not even heard of that film. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I I but just on the same note of of you know of a completely believable character inhabiting the role like like i loved the take of his take on this completely clueless prince you know and it's just like uh a date what is it what is a date you know we're it's like are we going home now i mean i don't know it was wonderful and my, my favorite scene in the film is uh when uh pip is is trying to communicate and he can't talk in the real world and so he does this you know this uh completely cgi but wonderful interpretation of of uh of spall you know he's like you know and he's and he's doing the princess and he's good (laughs) oh oh i know this uh And, and the prince is like, you would die without me around. You, know? <laughs> you feel you'd die without me here. See, it was wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> as you can there, tell, I just, yeah. I just, I'm just giddy with this. I, I think you were enchanted, TJ. I was enchanted nah. by the film. Yes, very nice. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. Going back to something you were uh, saying formerly about the, uh, well, going, uh, sort of like the performance of the princess. I think that one of the reasons why this film works as well as it does is because it doesn't just have the, uh, the fairy tale magic about it. It has the Disney magic about it. Mm-hmm. And they were able to tap something that they had lost off and on with some of their Disney uh, animated films in the eighties and so forth. But it, it's true that really what they did here is they, they didn't just tap like the beauty and the charm of beauty and the beast they really captured a little bit of everything they they make lots of little references to sleeping beauty and to uh you know snow white and some of them more blatant than others like the poisoned apple right yes uh the 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 uh, animals that just rally beside her and do anything for her and they, they're just the sweetest <laughs> animals it doesn't matter what they are one second they're cleaning the kitchen and the next minute the pigeon is eating the cockroach and we're like what <laughs> but then we just move on again to the next moment and she's got a fish in her mouth it's like what's with the fish in her mouth but is it, no matter what she does uh, the animals seem to show up and that was really cute i i really loved how gross that was that scene with the animals in the real world like you know you see them clean you know the mice cleaning or whatever and doing the dishes and and whatever and in cinderella and, and all this stuff and and it doesn't gross you out because it's a cartoon but you're like you're seeing these even though they're cgi you're seeing these animals like handling your plates and and they're they're wiping using their bottoms and their tails to clean and you're using your toothbrush to clean the toilet it's, it's like that yeah, is pretty so good, gross and pretty good animated animals for 2007 uh that was like just when they were beginning to sell me on that what they could do with full-fledged like performances and animated mm-hmm. animals and movies and Disney did it well enough that I, I didn't expect for I mean like they, they really were depending on the chipmunk a great uh many times uh, with his relationship to the prince and his relationship to Nathaniel and I I didn't think that it would really pay off and work like 
when it was really at the beginning, I didn't even especially enjoy the chipmunk when he was in the cartoon world. Yeah, he was okay. Yeah, but when but he sounded like when a they, poor they Joe keep Pesci on, impersonator. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, uh, some things worked in the long run just because the film worked so hard to be charming, and it it they pulled it off. That that that's like it's somewhere. It's sort of like the title of the movie is describing the movie. I mean, not many movies really do that, but, uh, you know, here we go. It's, it's just blatant. Yeah. Uh, Um, uh, I will say though that, uh, Disney didn't actually do any of the animated animals, uh, in the real world. They just did the, the cell stuff. Um, I think it was CIS Hollywood and, uh, Weta and Tippett that did the creature stuff in, uh, CG for the real world stuff. Yeah, I can see that. There's something very distinctive about the stuff Weta does, and I can see some Weta stuff in there. Now that you say that, I, I, I can't, that. maybe you can help yep. me with this. I can't quite put my finger on what it is about Weta stuff, but you can almost always, if it's pointed out to me or if I read, I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I definitely see that. What, what is it about that? Do you, do you know? It's very they all look know. like yeah. they're, it's, it's very distinctive using... to me. I don't know, like I, it just has a feel about it. Like I'm thinking particularly, and I, I'm a, I could be completely wrong, but I'm thinking particularly of the way the mice were animated or something that just felt very wet. Now that I look back at it, hmm. uh, I, could I, be, I, I, I could be making it up. <laughs> I don't even know if the mice were wet or if that was one of the tippet uh, things. Yeah. I don't, I don't think CIS did that, but uh, it, w- it would have been either wet or tippet. Um, I, I can't speak to that, but it, it's a, uh, it's, I mean, like you were saying, it's competently done for 2007. Uh, so, ta-da. I, I just wanted to clarify, because a lot of people yeah. probably think that Disney did that too. But even though they have the technical capability to do 3D things, they don't do their own live-action movies. Uh, well, so, yeah, like I mean, when you watch Alice in Wonderland and when you watch uh, uh, all of their other live-action stuff, uh, like, I don't know, Prince Caspian, uh, then they're <laughs> not... Uh, they don't do that themselves. They hire the effects studios to do that for them. Yeah, it's very interesting. I, I wonder why that is. You, you would think that uh, some, somebody, you know, or a company as big as Disney, I mean, they're, they obviously have the money. I mean, they're, they're buying, you know, co- companies like Marvel and they bought Pixar and they bought Lucasfilm for crying out loud. You, you would think they would do that in house, but it's, it's interesting. I well, guess they te- recognize what their core competencies are. Well, yeah, but technically now they actually do own ILM via Lucasfilm right, so they right. they do own a uh an effects house but they they don't have like it, like it's not Disney feature animation that does it or anything so uh it was, and it certainly wasn't the case like back in 2007 when that was happening yeah that's um, true yeah anyway that's to derail everything no no that's nope, totally nope. fine um do you guys have any more specific likes that you would like to talk about this film? Like, like I said, I, it's hard for me to quantify exactly what it is that I love about this film, and it's hard for me to make a list of things that I, I like about this film. But do you guys have any other things that you like about this film? Hmm. Uh, hmm. <laughs> there, there's a lot of just little interesting moments we haven't really talked about. Uh, I mean, we, we've we've covered enough of the specifics and, you know, the overarching qualities. So I, I'm ready to move on. Okay. Do you gentlemen have anything that you don't like about this film? Oh yeah. Really? Here we go. Well, yeah, I mean, not, not like hugely gross, you know, like what the heck was that doing in the film? But you know, there, there were some things that came to my mind. Okay. Let's, let's, let's hear it. Uh, okay. Let me see here. Let me look at my notes. Uh, hmm. Some of these are just questions, observations, and then others are like, you know, I, I didn't especially like, uh, my number one dislike was essentially, 
the section of the middle of the film between the song in the park and everything immediately after the song in the park, all the way up to the moment that Giselle discovers her ability to get angry and gets excited about it. Like all of that portion, it's maybe 30 minutes long. I'm not sure, but it was kind of weak compared to the rest of the movie. You just have Nathaniel and the chipmunk quarreling with each other. You have the prince bumbling over himself some more. You have uh, just sort of like awkward progression of Giselle spending time with Mr. Phillips. And it, it, it didn't feel like that was especially uh, well-developed material. So if you wanted a simplified version of the film, you could literally – go from the conversation that they had strolling into the park up to the moment that she started breaking into song. And you could like fade out of that scene and fade into the scene where they're back at the house when she gets angry and you would not miss anything in between. Hmm. It it, Uh, it was inconsequential material. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree. I think the Joes disagree. Here we go. That's a first. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's not that important. Uh, but the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the part that I disagree about is that uh, uh, it provides relationship time here for Robert and Giselle because otherwise it would be even more unplausible mm-hmm. at the end when they fall for one another mm-hmm. uh, than I, I think it is. Like if you, if you went right from that song and the doves uh, carrying away the wreath uh, how do they know where she lives? They're doves. Uh, but if you went right from that to uh, her being angry, then we wouldn't have the scenes where they're having their casual conversations uh, about uh, the people in their lives uh, and about how she feels about her prince, um, which turns out to be kind of empty, uh, which is important uh, because yeah. that lets us know that she doesn't actually have a developed sense of feelings for him. Uh, and, so, and so I think that needs to be there, but I do agree that when we keep cutting away to Edward, he's not doing anything. That's so true. it, it is that part I think drags. If they had given him some tasks, some activity other than the weird sitting in the hotel room talking about the magic, magic mirror stuff. Um, I think that that could have helped, uh, flesh that out some more and maybe, exposed him to more of New York, uh, would it would have been better. But, but that's the part that I'm going to disagree on is that I do think they need that time for a relationship. I just think that it's not well developed in terms of the other things that keep cutting back and forth too, especially with, uh, uh, the henchman, um, doing his, uh, horrible stereotypical, uh, impersonations of people, uh, and talking (laughs) to uh, the evil queen, uh, Because that happens a few times through the film, and I feel like it just needs to that could be tightened more, and and to not be so. Uh, and he he is probably the most uneven character of all of them because he does seem to. While he keeps mentioning that he's going to, you know, uh, that he has his doubts about the queen, it does seem to be a rather sudden spike by the time we get to the end of the film, uh, in in his transition. But it. it like that could have also been a thread that could have been developed more here rather than just the same cutaways that we had seen in other scenes preceding this. So yeah, uh, I agree that, with that. that. That's, that's what I would 
to say. Yeah, I'll definitely agree that um, I, I felt like the Timothy Spall character, Nathaniel, um, I, he, he felt underdeveloped, uh, and his, his transition, his turn is, is a little sudden. I will definitely agree with that. The one thing where you were, you were saying, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Rosenstiel, uh, that, uh, <laughs> that, um, the one thing you were saying that, you know, the, the prince, you know, he's just sitting there and doesn't have anything to do, but I, I kind of felt like that was kind of the point. Like, he's, he's kind of an empty character and, and there's nothing here. Like, why would Giselle be interested in him at all? Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not necessarily disagreeing, but I'm just asking the question. Would, if we'd given him something to do, would it have had the same effect as him sitting around like a lump in a hotel room watching the TV? Uh, you know, and just showing how, what a stupid, silly character he is. Um, well, I don't know. I think it would have helped if he had done something that maybe had something to do with Nancy. Because speaking That's of things true. that are rather sudden. Yeah, now that was the, sudden. <laughs> my, my biggest gripe with this film is the pairing of Prince Edward and Nancy at the end of it. Yeah. I, I, I think that that is hands down the part that I like the least. Uh, I think that is too neat and tidy and clean. It feels very um, pandering. Yeah, I, I think that it, it would have been fine to leave a loose end. Like that they did not get together. They don't have love, but they have hope for whatever they're going to go out and find in the real world. That would have been okay. I felt like the writers uh, put them together so that it wouldn't seem as bad that uh, Patrick Dempsey and Amy Adams were together. Yeah, I, uh, I don't disagree. I feel, like that's, I, th- I feel like that's the only reason why they met, met, meshed these two characters together because on paper, they're nothing alike. Um, and that the only time they meet is in this ballroom and that she's just suddenly swooned by, uh, by, by his, his ability, by, uh, his gallantry. Yeah. So I, 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 it, it all seemed very strange. Yeah. I, I will agree to that as well. But, but I mean, think about it though. If they hadn't put those two together and had them rush back off into the uh, animated world, uh, we wouldn't have gotten the cell, the cell phone joke. So, uh, you know, there's that, uh, <laughs> not that we needed it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it did feel a little sudden and I, I, I agree. It just, it feels too tidy. Like this is not the way the real world works. And we're trying to bring a sense of real world ultimately into this. Like the, you know, uh, Giselle didn't. She she thought that this prince was for her, but you know what? It turns out that's not. Things aren't quite so neat and tidy in the real world, and yet we have this other neat and tidy thing being wrapped up in a bow for us. And it, it just feels very like, oh, let's uh, let's just make sure that we have a happily ever after ending, uh, which is kind of the point of the song, I guess, that uh, Carrie Underwood's singing there. But uh, uh, anyway, yeah, I, I'll definitely agree with that. Yeah. Another thing that I I wasn't especially. Uh well, it wasn't a dislike, more of a disappointment, was that Morgan Phillips, uh, the lawyer's daughter, she she's mostly around to make this a more complete family picture, a, a mm-hmm. more family-oriented film. But for the majority of the film, she's just making quirky expressions to, in surprise to the actions of Giselle. And I felt like they could have done more with their character. For instance, when they let them go shopping and get their hair done together late in the film – they they had some good lines between each other as the princess and the little girl. And it, what's interesting is that at the heart of it, this is probably the essential relationship that Disney has with the the largest audience, the largest group of people in their audience. It's the, it's the little girls that are interested in this movie because it's a fairy tale with a pretty princess mm-hmm. and it's a Disney f- f- feature. I feel like, 
you know, it's interesting. They didn't really do much with that. They they could have had a more interesting relationship and showed more development there at the expense of uh, maybe uh, shoring out some of the other weaker, th- uh, you know, uh, uh, plot developments. You know, maybe give a little less attention to the chipmunk and what Nathaniel's doing and what the prince is doing and show us more of what Giselle is doing along with Morgan. But, you know, they didn't put that into the script, so I don't think it, it appeared in the film. So it, it was one of those moments, though, where it was like, huh, really, uh, the, it, it's, a, it's a film for kids showing us very little to do with kids when they had the opportunity to make it involve kids a little bit more than other Disney films. I mean, think about it. Like how many of the, the fairy tale films actually involve kids? Not many of them do. We just got Cinderella a few weeks ago and you see just a, a prologue where Cinderella is a kid. And besides that, there's just hardly any moment in any of these princess movies where kids are actually a part of the story. Mm. It's not that they have to be in there. It's just it'd be nice to see them in there once. Yeah, I have to say I was surprised actually on rewatching this because, like I said, it had been a couple of years since I'd seen it. And on, on rewatching it, my, I thought, huh, she's really done, doesn't have anything. Morgan doesn't really have anything to do in this film. That's, I, I didn't remember it that way, and that's interesting. But, you know, you, you see these uh, – part of the problem may be this. You see these uh, kids, you know, acting and whatever, and you, some of, sometimes you see one and you think, oh, man, this, this kid's going somewhere. She was not that. <laughs> like, bless her heart. I don't think that she can act very well. It didn't seem like to me. So uh, I don't know. And and looking at her IMDb profile here, she really hasn't been in anything else. So uh, I'm I'm just not sure that she had the chops to do much more than what uh, than what they had her doing there. Thanks for beating up on a little kid, TJ. Ah, yeah, you, you know, you know me. It's just, uh, it's just the way I am. I, I can't help it. Uh, no, well, I mean, I do agree. She, she's certainly not as super strong, but uh, I, she should have technically, even if her ability wasn't present, <laughs> been in more scenes. Yeah, I agree. Um, the uh, 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 like, there, there's one component of this which is touched on in dialogue but not touched on in action and that is the role of a stepmother right um, and they don't ever have that in action they have that only in the dialogue what we see in action is that they are uh friends um and that there is an appreciation and a uh uh there's whimsy about about morgan uh that she feels captivated by Giselle, Mm -hmm. but that's not the same thing. So at the end of the film, a big question mark really is how does the family unit work? Yeah. Um, In, 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 in practice when everything's, you know, going on the rails and, you know, that would have been a question mark too with Nancy. Um, because we also didn't get a sense of Nancy as the stepmother. Uh, and since it was something they brought up several times in dialogue, it would have been nice to see some action points like, oh, well, she has to do this thing at school for her. She has to uh, help her with this uh, project. She has to, um, to, to, to do something with, uh, with, uh, with Robert and with Morgan. And there wasn't enough of that. There were many, many more scenes of just Giselle and Robert in this film than there are of anything else. And that's primarily because this is a romantic comedy. Right. So it's, it's not hard to see why they would structure it that way. But in terms of what they say in dialogue, it does, 
does make more sense for them to spend more time with some of the other characters, um, especially when they're not really supposed to be romantically involved, uh, as they bring up several times through, through the course of it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's a scene where Nancy's very forgiving and she's like, I trust you. You know, you say that it wasn't this way, so uh, I'll believe you. Uh, but then he goes right off and then they're hanging out and she's sleeping over and like, it's as if that scene didn't happen. Um, so it, it was, it was very strange cause, cause at the end of the day, we know basically from the start of the film that Giselle and Robert are getting together. So yeah, sure. Every, everything's about that. And it's not about Morgan and it's not about Nancy and it's not about, uh, Prince Edward. It's not about any of that. Um, it's not even about the, the wicked stepmother, uh, keeping her crown. Like it, it is, it is about these two falling in love. Um, and, and so everything that's structured here is, is only about that. Even, even if they do t- keep bringing up these other plot points, they just kind of fall to the side and don't get addressed or incorporated in, in any meaningful way. Yeah. That brings you back to the date that happens between the park scene and Giselle getting angry. And, uh, it's sort of like that there was that spell of the film where they, they just had to show more of the characters living together from day to day in New York City before they could develop the love uh, to fruition. And uh, yeah, that my, going back to my dislike, I just felt like it wasn't necessarily that they didn't need to incorporate scenes uh, showing time unfolding. It was just the, the scenes that they did show were, as, they were, as they were addressed were not my favorite execution on perhaps what they could have done with the characters and the potential they had in New York city or, you know, like it seems like the first hour of the film is really solid. And then, uh, everything after getting angry is pretty solid. Uh, my last dislike, and then I I wanted to get to a couple of questions here and see what y'all guys thought. Uh, my last dislike was that once the, uh, spoiler alert, the evil queen turns dragon, and, uh, you know, grabs the damsel in distress and starts climbing up the tower. Uh, no, she was flexible. She didn't grab the damsel in distress, remember? But didn't somebody at that point then say, well, you are the damsel in distress in this situation or something like that? Okay, okay, so you're, okay, I see what you mean. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the the dude is the damsel. Yeah, okay, time, right? gotcha. All right, so she she climbs up in the rain. She's up on top of the tower. Now what? And it feels like it was not really thought through. Like I, I know she's a dumb queen from a fairy tale who's going to do some nonsensical things, but she gets to the top of the tower, and what what what, what was she going to do besides fall off the tower and die? Monologue. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. and and why didn't you know, she? She says in the uh, the ballroom she's going to kill everybody, and then she not only does she monologue like a villain out of the Incredibles. <laughs> She doesn't bother to like kill anybody. We get no fire breathing. We we don't get a, 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 any serious menacing. We don't get anything. And it's it's like why why are you beating about the bush? Y- you fought so long and hard. You're an impatient woman. You you don't have any reason to hold back now. Why don't you just get it over with? Why aren't you killing people? And she gets to the top of the tower, and then something kind of haphazardly awkwardly happens and she falls to her death, right? Uh, the, the dude is saved by one incredibly lucky throw. And when the <laughs> dragon hits the ground, she turns into sparkling dust. And the only other times we saw sparkling dust in this film 
was when the the characters were traveling through a portal into the real world. So I felt like we were shorted on a a, a decent climax. Like it works, yeah, but it, it didn't feel like it was the best of Disney climaxes for fairy tales. Like Beauty and the Beasts was awesome. And uh, Snow White's was okay. Uh, you know, the Sweeping Beauty was okay. Aladdin's very good. Yeah, yeah, Aladdin's was solid. Uh, but yeah, this is this is supposed to be evocative of Sleeping Beauty, uh, with Maleficent uh, turning into the dragon, etc. Um, it, it, but her, <sighs> the Evil Queen, uh, Nerissa is well, she's a pastiche of the evil. Queen from Snow White and and Maleficent, basically mm-hmm. these two things, and uh, she embodies their traits uh, and personality quirks, but not their planning or skill. Because uh, <laughs> her, she starts off trying to get rid of Giselle by throwing her down a well to another dimension instead of just killing her. Right. So strike one. She she, she realizes <laughs> this is a problem because Edward just goes after her. Uh, and so then she sends her incompetent henchmen after both of them with the order to kill her. Uh, and this is stupid again. And then gives the poison apples and there's a limited number of poison apples because poison apples don't just grow on trees, but the, or do they, that is also, that is, (laughs) well, yeah, (laughs) This, this is also stupid because, uh, that is not an effective killing tool. As we can see clearly, uh, even when it is an apple teeny, easy on the teeny, uh, that it doesn't it doesn't effectively annihilate anything. Um, the the last time that it, that she her last little plan is that she comes there herself. She's shooting up electricity everywhere, taking out taxi cabs and stuff, and and walking down the street. And she's got all this power, and then she goes up there, turns into a hag, offers Giselle an apple. Um, and Giselle falls for this, like yeah. a dum-dum, um, <laughs> bites the apple, the CG apple rolls across the ballroom floor dramatically, uh, and then her plan is to drag her unconscious body into the elevator before the elevator door closes, transform in a ball of fire back into herself, and then uh, incompetently lie for like two minutes about her evil plan. Um, and then uh, it, it, it's, it's like, it, it's not, it's not well thought out. It doesn't make any sense. No. She has all this power the whole entire time for the film. If she wants to actually kill people, then she would kill people. If she didn't really want to kill people, then there are other ways to go about this. Uh, there have certainly been other Disney villains that haven't killed people, um, especially in Pixar films or in right, any of the right. more modern stuff. Uh, like there are ways to make someone villainous if they aren't, murderers it's fine you can do it um but when you go to these storybook storybook things uh then you can't repeatedly try to kill somebody in an incompetent way while balancing the superpower against the incompetent power uh because it doesn't make a lot of sense because like the same critique you can pick apart uh sleeping beauty because she's all this power to turn into a dragon breathe fire curse the castle all this stuff and her her big master plan is to get her to prick her finger on a spinning wheel. <laughs> right. It, I mean, it, 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 but it, you know, it, so it, 
it's it's just par for the course for like the old style fairy book nonsense. It doesn't make any sense, uh, but it, it it doesn't add up in this film. And so it's a good thing that the film's not really about her, even though Susan Sarandon is a commanding presence on screen. She is not that her character as written is rubbish. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I feel like you can right. overanalyze these things too, and like it's just you know it on it's on some level and i know you can't go too far with this but on some level it's just a fantasy story and it's not what it's about and i don't want to let that thinking too much about that distract me from the enjoyment of the film and <laughs> he's met with silence sure sure I, w- I wouldn't say that it ruins the film it's just a little con i wouldn't say it ruins the film um i be i mean it is a critique that i have if I was if I was to give these writers notes on how they could make the film a better film, <laughs> these are the notes I would yeah, give them. Gotcha. Okay. But, right. But yeah, I mean that's not it, it's not to say that I don't like the film because obviously I, I picked it. It wasn't just a joke. Uh, but <laughs> the, the uh, uh, so so yeah, I mean you can say these things about the plot points that don't make a lot of sense and weird pauses and everything, but you can say that about like basically any movie. So it, it it's it's just. I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't mean to bash the children's film. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. All right. So it, it, that brings me to this: the one question I have, the biggest question of all. Uh, but first, didn't I hear that they're making a sequel to this film? Are they? I haven't heard that. I didn't hear that. We, we have that? to consult the Googles here. Please do because I, I heard rumor of it about six months ago or so. And uh, I, I don't know if we should be excited about that or not. Probably uh, not. Just, no. Probably yeah. But Disney sequels have a history of not being so good. You're not excited for Frozen 2? Also starring Adina Mazel? <laughs> yeah, also <laughs> Adina Mazel. Uh, maybe. We'll see. I mean, it's, it's, not un, it's not unheard of for a Disney sequel to be good. It just doesn't happen often, uh, you know. It, and and I, I guess I'm mostly thinking of the animated, you know, Lady in the Tramp 10 or, or whatever it is that they do. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I put I put the direct-to-video stuff in a separate bucket. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Same bucket that I would put, like, a Tron animated series or a Star Wars animated <laughs> series in. Right. Like, the Aladdin sequels and stuff, that doesn't doesn't matter okay this like is that. this is on the disney wikia um enchanted 2 is an upcoming american fantasy musical film a sequel to enchanted produced and directed by walt disney pictures in association with barry sonnenfeld and joseph entertainment josephson entertainment uh will be written by j david stem and david n weiss and directed by ann fletcher okay then in february 2010 variety reported that walt disney pictures planned a film sequel to with barry jo- josephson and barry sonnenfeld producing again so, uh, let's see. Is there anything more recent than that? Um, oh, as of July 2014, Disney has hired screenwriters, uh, J. David Stem and David M. Weiss. So, the last news in the Disney Wikia is that it was 2014 was, was when the last news appeared. Mm, well, they're taking their good time. No kidding. Well, but yeah, they are with Tron Legacy, too. So, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You were going to say something? It's going to be a movie in the retirement home. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we really need to be moving into our uh, wrap-up here. Uh, longest podcast ever. Uh, not quite. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Joe Darnell, why don't you give us your star rating and your reasons for that star rating and make any points that you've failed to make this, make this far? I liked the film, so I give it four stars. It's a credible film that will entertain the kids and the adults. It tries a little bit uh, awkwardly to 
treat uh, the children with as much entertainment as it does for the adults. I feel like the adults are given more attention for the romantic comedy angles and that once you get into the real world on, in Manhattan, they didn't as effectively portray the the fantastic and the fairy tale elements as they did in, say, the, the other film we referenced, um, Elf. I felt like Elf did a better job of um, creating some of some of the nuance between uh, the real world and the magical, you know, snow-filled Santa Claus uh, elfy world when it came to New York. Uh, so, where it's at though, uh, the princess is adorable, and uh, it's interesting how they redeemed Robert Phillips. I liked his character arc, even if uh, you know Patrick Dempsey is as bland as they come, and a lot of people. I could legitimately criticize his performance in this film. So um, it is what it is and it's worth watching and it's nice to see with the kids because they, they do like the film and it's, it's in, it's going to entertain everybody who watches it. Joe Rosensteel. One, well, before I get my score, the one thing I'm going to say is I'm surprised none of us have talked about the musical numbers. Uh, That's true. We didn't. In this film. Um, but uh, but but my score, <laughs> aside from that, it's, it's, is, is it's weirdly specific. Yes, uh, four point seven three five eight. Because <laughs> I we don't we don't I don't I don't usually score things because I I either have a somewhat uh, uh, loose scale for for liking mm-hmm. things. Uh, either I like it or I don't like it, and then there is uh, would I recommend it to certain kinds of people, etc. So it's it's hard for me to like give it like a, a number and then like compare it to Godfather that I've also given a number. Uh, but but I've tried to do my best for you. So, <laughs> All right. Well, on a 10-point scale, 4.7358 fits in there somewhere. I'm not sure where. <laughs> Wait, it's 10-point scale? Yeah, with half stars. So you go, you go up to five. Oh, I thought you meant that this went up to 10 and that you both gave it no, 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 no. 4.5, uh, if you put it on the actual 10, would be a nine. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, it's not confusing at all. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. It's a, uh, it's a fairly standard movie scoring system. Yes. Uh, all right. So I give the film four and a half out of five stars, and I recognize that this is mostly very specific to me and my tastes, and I just – I uh, from the first time I saw this film, I just really enjoyed it. It, it just – it somehow in a way that I'm not able to completely quantify, it speaks to me if, if I can use that terminology. Um, and so I give it for my own personal taste, four and a half stars. I totally get Joe, why you only give it four stars and I will someday forgive you for it. Um, so, uh, Joe Darnell, I should, should clarify. Just add it to the list. <laughs> so yeah, I give it four and a half stars. I, I just, I love almost everything about this film with the few exceptions that I noted as you brought them up. Um, I, I love the the, the uh, kind of the fun making of, of Disney tropes, but I love also just the way it approaches those tropes and then turns them into something special. Um, it's just it's a wonderful film, and my kids enjoyed it, and so that's always a huge plus. Um, so, uh, yeah, four and a half stars is what I give it. Uh, IMDb, I forgot to put that in the show outline, so I'm quickly looking it up. Uh, I'm, I'm looking here, Enchanted. I can't even type. I don't know what IMDb rates it. <laughs> Uh, here we go. Uh, MDB. I'm looking at it. Yeah, nope, that's the Emperor's New Group. 7.2 out of 10 is what the users of IMDB rate the film. And then uh, the critics give an awfully high rating of this film on 
on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. It is 93% approval rating, certified fresh, and the audience score is sitting at 80%. So the film has fared fairly well over the years, uh, and it just uh, – I, I don't feel like it was quite this high last time I looked at it, but it must have been. So Anyway, that is Enchanted. I had a lot of fun uh, talking about that one, guys. Uh, next week we haven't yeah. we haven't uh, we haven't determined what we're going to talk about, Joe. Uh, do you have any thoughts nope. on the suggestions in the outline there? Mm, let's see here. What's coming out on DVD? I was kind of maybe possibly sort of kind of interested in Home, but I don't really think it's going to be any good. What's Home? Uh, which company's making Home Sweet it? Hell? Yeah, that's a the the DreamWorks film. It's a very yeah. different Home. DreamWorks is so hit or miss. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been it's been well reviewed for children, but all of the reviews have said that adults are going to be bored. So, uh, I I don't have fun. Yeah. I'm not here. So you guys you guys knock yourselves out. Probably not. Uh, Insurgent also probably not. Um, oh, I put home in here twice. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, we never did do McFarland, which we talked about doing. Uh, McFarland USA, I think, is the name of that film. Sure, sure. People liked it. And then there's it's another Disney film. X- we just reviewed. This is Disney Bite now. Yeah. And then there's Ex Machina, which I think looked a little dark. Maybe. Uh, we'll we'll figure it out. Uh, we're not going to announce what it is, but we'll figure something to review next week. Um, in the meantime, uh, people may want to uh, find out more about you, Joe Rosenstiel. Where can they keep up with your various uh, works, like your podcast and your Twitter and things like that? Uh, okay. My site is joe-steel.com. Um, steel like the metal, not steel like the activity. Mm. Uh, Twitter handle is at Joe Steel. Same stipulation. Uh, and uh, that you can connect to whatever various other things you need to from there. So, uh, uh, like defocused uh, is at defocused.co. So, all right. And from what I've heard, it is quite an excellent podcast, especially when you guys are talking about Star Trek. Well, you won't like our elf episode. (laughs) All right, Joe Darnell, where can people uh, keep up with your work on the World Wide Web? I am underscore Joe Darnell on Twitter. You can find my uh, podcasts. One of them is Movie Bite. Another one is topbrew.fm. And my new one is tectonic.fm, where I talk about technology. And I'm having fun. And did you have a Twitter handle? I didn't hear you yes. mention that. I did. Okay. I'm, I, I, I fell asleep behind the microphone over here. It's no big deal. If you want to follow me... You it took too long, that. huh? Yeah, apparently. If you want to follow me, you can do that uh, on Twitter at TJDraperPro. Uh, that's where you can keep up with me on the social network. Uh, I'm not really writing on MovieBite.com anymore. I've kind of hung that up because nobody was really interested in the writing. It's, uh, it's okay. I don't blame you. Um, and uh, keep an eye out if you develop websites, which probably none of you do. But I am going to be releasing some software uh, for Expression Engine in the very, very near future, hopefully this week. I'm working out one last little bug, and it'll be ready to go. And I'm uh, really excited about that. Nobody cares. So uh, that's it for this week. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week for who knows what. We'll figure it out. Uh, See you guys later. Bye-bye.